For our first message today, we have a split sermon from Mr. David Hope entitled, Describe Your God in One Minute or Less. Mr. Hope. Thank you, Mr. Nolan. Good afternoon, everyone, on this nice, beautiful January day. Yesterday was, what, close to 70, and today it's, I don't know if it's even going to get above freezing, but uh, either way, it's good to be here. It's good to be alive. I was asked earlier a couple of times by a couple of people, are they expecting me to give a real short message, you know, and would want to know whether they even turn on the recording machine, you know. But uh, uh, the answer is no, it's not going to be too short. It might not be very long, but uh, uh, anyway, but no, the answer is no. You know, there are many ways to describe from the scriptures, and uh, there's many ways to describe our God. You know, and you may have your way, and, or, and you'll have a lot of scriptures to back up what you're saying. And I don't think there's any one particular way, but there's, there's some ways. I'll just mention a few of them just to kind of get the ball rolling a little bit. Some people will say, and it's true, God is love. God's a healer. God is our protector. God is our provider. And I describe our God as a counselor. And you probably have several other things that you could say that would describe God, but the idea is, and uh, as something that doesn't take very long, and like uh, I think Matthew, one of our speakers, mentioned here a while back about the elevator message, you know, a lot of salespeople are, are taught, you know, to when you're introduction, when you first meet a person, you know, and you talk about your product or your service, you know, to... To, to give it what they call the elevator approach, whatever it takes to get up in the old-time elevators. The new ones are pretty fast now, but, you know, to describe something that'll get them interested. Well, same way in some people that uh, really promote um, evangelizing are the same thing. That you, you mentioned in a very short period of time some real key features about what your God is like and how to get them. And, and I think the objective is, or my object, would objective would be, would to get them to continue the dialogue. You know, that first one minute or whatever it is that you describe is enough to get them to come back and ask a question. Not necessarily to argue with them, but to uh, get them to continue. And, and uh, Paul said, you know, mention... Uh, mentioned that uh, be ready always to give an answer for those that ask you and hopefully when you make your comment or when I make my comment hopefully people will continue to say oh well really what about that so I'm going to give a few examples uh, there's one particular example I like pretty well I like to use that uh, it's mentioned several times in the Bible and the Old Testament and the New Testament both, and I don't have time to go into all of them. There's a lot of them that, that mentions this particular thing, and you'll see what I'm talking about here in a minute. In Acts 17, verse 15 through 34, and I'm jumping into the middle of a situation that uh, Paul went ahead and uh, he was uh, waiting on Silas and Timothy. He was in Athens waiting on them. And most of you are familiar with the story. 
and I'll break into the situation here. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timothy for to come to him with all speed, and they departed. So Paul was waiting in Athens for uh, Silas and, and Timothy to come. Well, Paul didn't like to let a lot of moss grow under his feet. He liked to stay busy, and, and he was going through the town and, and the city. And in and, and verse 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred up in him, when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, you know, that just all kinds of uh, pagan symbols and pagan gods. Therefore disputed he in a synagogue with the Jews, and they had a Jewish synagogue there, and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers, you know, and they get out and they get around to different groups too, then certain philosophers of the Euphrians and the Stockies encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? You know, we've said this about some people too. Well, that's a weird thing. You know, what's this babbler say? Others, some, he seemed to be a setter, of, setter forth of strange gods. You know, they, some of them hadn't heard this because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. And this may be a weakness on my part, but I used to think for some reason, I don't know why I did for a long time, that Areopagus, I thought that was a person. I thought that was a, a person of Athens. I didn't realize that that's like a court system. It's a major group where they make laws and they hear things and they make judgments on things. And it's a pretty high position to be a part of the Areopagus. But anyway... Uh, it's not a person like I thought for a long time. And Aragop was saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof you speak is. So they were curious. They wanted to know what this new doctrine that you're talking about is. For you bring certain strange things to our ears. And some of the things that we say, you know, about different parts of our our uh, uh, teachings may be strange to some people. You know, days of unleavened bread and holy days and you know, we even had uh, one of our daughters-in-law years ago had never heard of the Feast of Tabernacles. This was strange to their ears until she, one day at her, her work at uh, the people that she was working with. It was a new company, and they were having Bible studies in the morning before work, and they heard about the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. But anyway, but strange things to some people's ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. So this high court, they wanted to find out about that, you know, where they could be a part of it or, or what. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood up in the midst of Mars Hills, and, and some translations have that as the Aragophis instead of just Mars Hill, and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Now this is in the King James. Uh, I think the New King James and some of the other translations will say uh, that they're, you're very religious. He didn't, I thought for a long time, and that's, that's why I guess uh, the Bible 
if you study it long enough, you, you have a different interpretation about things. But I thought for a long time it was a put-down to the Athens, Athenians. I thought it was a put-down. The, the way it's written there in the, uh, King James, uh, you would think it is. You're too superstitious. Well, that's really a compliment to them. It was really a compliment. And Paul knew you don't go into a group and start condemning them and ridiculing them and expect them to be open-minded with you and, and to, to listen to what you're saying. You know, immediately when you offend somebody, you know, even when we're sitting in a, a group and when we're offended, you know, sometimes our mind is so much on that offensive remark, we don't even hear anything else, you know, for a long time, depending on how bad it is and how bad the adrenaline gets up, if it's really that bad. But anyway, but this was a compliment to the people, and I didn't know that for a lot of years, and, and if it seems that way to you, look it up, and, and uh, I think you'll find out. And here's what it says. Uh, for I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Now that was a little bit negative, but he didn't mean it in a bad way. You know, you just don't understand. Ignorantly worship him I declare unto you. So, uh, anyway, um, uh, he was... He, he had already building his case to get uh, further dialogue. God that made all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. And this is the thing that basically I want to kind of go with, is, is uh, that God is the creator, sustainer of heaven and earth and everything that's in that. And... Anyway, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needs anything, seeing he gives life and breath and all things, and has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel him after him, and find him, though he be not far away from you. This, this unknown God that you're, you have that altar to is not very far away. Not very far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of our your own poets. So he's, he's uh, uh, parapha not paraphrasing, but uh, uh, talking about what some of their own people said. You know, in other places he said, well, people said that so-and-so's gluttons and fat bellies and all that. But anyway, this is not here. <laughs> but he is quoting from their own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, ought, we ought not to think that God, the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art of man's devices. So if you're, if you're an offspring of, of God, you're not, you know, anyway, but you don't look like a gold thing. At the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. 
because he that appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he had ordained, whereof has given us assurance to all men that in that he has raised him from the dead. Now this was very strange to them too. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear you again of this matter. So he was successful in the fact that he's going to get some dialogue. He's going to get a chance. And, and any time we give a message or, or talk to a group of people, you may have, out of 50 people, you may have one or two people that, that's going to, oh, wow, I'm going to look at that. And you may have some that are very angry. But anyway, he's continuing the dialogue now. In the future, we will hear you again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men cleave to him and believe. So a few of them did believe what Paul said. Among the which was Dionysus, the Areopagate. That was a person that was a part of that council, that believed. And a woman named Dermarius and others with them. So Paul had had the opportunity there to continue the dialogue, and he didn't take very long at first saying what he said. He just said that the God, the creator of heaven and earth, and also that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That was weird to them. We'll go over to me a little bit over to the Old Testament to Isaiah 45. And there, like I said, well, there are a lot of scriptures that uh, the people will quote not necessarily verbatim, but almost the same things. And breaking into a thought here, Isaiah 45. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He has established it. He created it, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. And just as an aside, uh, one important thing about the creator of the heavens and earth is a prime opening somewhere down the line that you can that we can bring in the Sabbath day. You know, the Sabbath day points directly to the creator, God. God you know, and it starts right there very first in, in Genesis, the very first book, very first chapter that God created the heaven and earth. And, of course, we even look over in uh, Exodus and, uh, you know, when the Ten Commandments were given. And he points everything back to the Sabbath day, to the creation. You know, six days shall you do all your work and, and seven days of Sabbath because God rested after he created the heavens and earth. So the Sabbath is a direct... If, if you're worshiping the God that created the heaven and earth, you're worshiping the God that created it on the Sabbath day. So it's, it's a, a perfect way in, you know, to inject this in here somewhere in the conversation. Jeremiah 32, 17, 19. All Lord God, behold, you have made the heaven and the earth by your great power and stretched out and stretched that arm, there is nothing too hard for you. You showed loving kindness 
to thousands and recompense the iniquity of the fathers unto the bosom of the children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. So there's several things in here. Verse 19, in counsel and in mighty, in great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are upon all the ways of the sons of men, to give every one according to his ways, according to the fruit of his goings. While I was doing this, for some reason when I had my computer, before I did some printouts here, I ended up doing that verse again. I had to, rather than re up and redo the thing, I've got one more scripture, I think, in the Old Testament that I'm going to read. Uh, here's one that's very familiar to most people, especially when they first begin to uh, not keep Christmas. Uh, most of you would know already when we're talking about the Christmas tree, and you could, most people say it was memory, you know, well, that's in uh, Jeremiah 10. Uh, I'm going to read in here, but I'm not going to read that particular verse. I'm going to read just after that, after the Christmas tree and things of that nature, and just uh, mention a few things that Jeremiah said. Uh, Jeremiah 10, verse 10 through 12. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. He is the everlasting King. At his wrath the earth shall be shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall you say unto them, the gods that have not made the heavens, you know, all these gods of stone and and uh, the gold and, and the totem poles and the Christmas tree and all that, because he just got through talking about the Christmas tree and, uh, you know, the first portion of Jeremiah 10. But anyway, this, said, this shall you say unto them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth, from the under, from under these heavens. He has, made, he has made the earth by his power. He has established the, word, the world by his wisdom and, he, and has stretched out the heavens by, this, by his discretion. So he's saying right there, even after Jeremiah, you know, talking about the Christmas tree that, uh, that some people will call a totem pole, but anyway, but uh, you're talking about the God of heaven that created all these things. And there's some more that I, I decided to just not go into. You're talking about, you know, G and Isaiah and some other places where uh, it says, He that sits upon a circle of the earth and stretches out the heavens as a tent to dwell in. You know, just, just on and on. There's so many scriptures that show that. Go over to the New Testament to uh, Acts 14. And breaking in again, Paul and Barnabas... Uh, had to flee Iconium. I don't get into all of the stories on that, but uh, anyway, uh, uh, they had to leave there. And uh, verse 5, And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, that's good enough reason to leave, I think, uh, 
they were aware of it and fled into Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and into the region that lies around about. And there they preached the gospel, and there sat a certain man of Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. We had a gentleman here, some of the people have been around the church for a long time, uh, the newer people probably wouldn't know it, but uh, we had a gentleman, Andrew Stain, you know, that, that uh, had never walked. You know, he was on crutches and he had to drag his feet and, and he'd get around pretty good, you know, but dragging around. But uh, we had talked at times, you know, well, wouldn't it be something, a true miracle, somebody that knows you from all your life, you know, when you were a baby, knew you, that you were born that way, and then for God to heal. And, you know, he didn't do it in this life, but it would have been a miracle if he had. And, uh, but anyway, this is what happened in this situation. The man had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and Paul uh, perceived that he had faith to be healed. You know, you can tell sometimes by your audience, you know, how you're getting through to the people. And he perceived that he could be healed, that he had faith to be healed, and said with a loud voice, and it wasn't just meek and all that, he said, stand upright on your feet. You know, get up. Stand upright. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw that Paul had done, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods, you know, the the, the gods, the stones, or whatever they are, the gods come down to us in the likeness of men. And Paul called Barnabas, oh no, and they called Barnabas Juniper and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. So they were calling down these gods, you know, these, these constellation figures came down, you know, and they're, they're with us. Then the priest of Juniper which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice to the people. Wow, well, they were impressed, weren't they? Which, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes. I'm not going to rent mine, you know. But anyway, they, they rent their clothes. Where'd I go? Uh, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men. You know, I'm just like you. I put my pants on one leg at a time most of the time, you know. And uh, we're men, just men of like passions with you. And preaching to you that you, and here's what, the point that he wanted to get across, that you should turn from your vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that therein. So here was Paul's opportunity here to continue to tell the people, the Creator God, the one that made everything here, not the Easter Bunny, not the, uh, you know, something else out here, not these uh, pagan gods, but the God that created the heaven and earth that rested on the seventh day. This God is the one that you need to worship. 
go back one more scripture into the Old Testament. Psalms 146, 5 through 10. Happy is he that has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all therein is, which keeps truth forever. And a lot of things, qualities that you could even mention, you know, of your God. Which executes judgment for the oppressed, which gives food to the hungry. You know, God supplies that. The Lord loosens the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises them that are bowed down. The Lord loves righteousness. The Lord preserves the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. But the way of the wicked he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, even the God of Zion, and to all generations, praise you the Lord. So several uh, attributes of God even mentioned right in here, but there's so many things. And like I said a while ago, the, the, my point is that, you know, we want to keep some conversations. If we open our mouth, sometimes they don't even ask us, but we can slip in a... Uh, a, a remark somewhere about something to get them to uh, uh, continue to dialogue about God and about the Bible and what we believe. But in a nutshell, this is the God that I serve, the God that created the heavens and the earth. 